Lord, we agree with those prayers. We do desire your will in all things, little things, big things, all the things that touch us and touch others around us. We praise you that you are sovereign, you are in control, you will accomplish your ultimate purposes. We want to align ourselves with that, see how you will not only bless us, but use us in a lost world. And Lord, as we look at your passage, we desire that nothing hinder us from gaining the full benefit of what you desire us to not only learn intellectually, but also to apply and to be able to take away and uh, allow you to conform us to your image. So if there's anything, we desire to be aware of that and that we may confess it and be in full fellowship with you and commit our time to you, Jesus. Book of Romans, we're looking at some very, very fundamental ideas, doctrines, teachings, and today we're going to talk about one of the most fundamental of all fundamental doctrines, the whole purpose of life. Why are we here? Purpose of all things. Huge, right, Linda? So, let's get into it. We're going to look only at verse 21. And don't mumble when you're thinking of life. Is... No, I'll try not, to, <laughs> try not to mumble. <laughs> God has provided righteousness. That's the main topic of the whole book of Romans. But mankind is not ready to receive it because he stands condemned. In fact, mankind has lost All access to God, that's what Paul is telling us, because of his guilt. So chapter 1, 18 through 32, is the guilt of humanity because man has rejected God. That's the heart of it. The heart of the passage is the verse that we're going to look at, verse 21. But this whole passage from 18 to 23, the heart of it and the essence of it is the rejection of man. So we start off 18 and 19, God reveals himself, God has revealed himself, and also he has revealed, well, he's revealed wrath in verse 18, and then he starts telling us the reason for that wrath, and the part that we're in, he's revealing himself, his person, and man rejects that revelation, and because of that rejection, mankind is under condemnation. We looked at verse 20 last time, the revelation of God's person, and the heart of 21 is through creation, and we emphasize the point that everyone has received that revelation. There's no one excluded, so that makes everyone accountable, and just uh, kind of a chart form of the whole passage, man is under wrath, verse 18. We have reasons for wrath because the essence of it, man has rejected God. God has done everything through man necessary for man to come to know him. Man rejects that. So that's 19 through 23. And as a result, you can see the wrath of God poured out, just as it says in verse 18. So I call that God rendering wrath, 24 through 32. So verse 20, for since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, things that cannot be seen, kind of a paradox here, Cannot be seen visually or with your physical sight. Yet, those attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen. They are visible. 
not with sight, not with your eyes, but they are seen in terms of understanding and perception and, I guess you could say, internally understanding and being understood through what has been made. So God has left a revelation. He's built it into the creation. And if you study the creation or just observe it, even casually, you are observing a revelation of God. And you can't help but recognize that there must be a God behind all of the intricacies and the detail and the design of his creation. And there's even scientific laws, like what we looked at last time, laws of cause and effect that bring you to the right conclusion. There has to be an ultimate cause. That's a scientific principle. In fact, for every cause, there must be a, or for every effect, there must be a cause greater than the effect. And you see causes all around us, implying that there must be an ultimate cause of all of the lesser causes, because we can see the effects. So that's the revelation through what has been made, and that makes mankind and every person accountable, so that they are without excuse. Now, the Greek word for without excuse is the same word that is that we use for apologetics, except it's negated. So we get the word apologetics from apologia, just to add an alpha before that, and what it's saying is people don't have don't have a case, don't have an apologetic, don't have an answer. If they stand in court, they don't have a defense, is essentially the meaning of that word. And I think without excuse is a good translation, but the word itself is a legal term, and men will not be able to stand before God and present a valid case because the revelation is clear enough, clear enough that mankind knows it, understands it, and can't get away from it. So that makes man responsible. And that's what we talked about last time, just a little review here. We call this general revelation. And it's general because every human being has access to it and is exposed to it. No one is excluded. For since the creation, since God created man, this revelation has been broadcasting, you could say. So that's general revelation, but it, it only makes men responsible. Sorry, you guys got to sit right here. Yeah. <laughs> I can't go to the door down the no That's right. You can't hide now. So it makes man responsible. We said last time, this revelation is adequate for condemnation. Men are without excuse. Everyone is exposed to it. But there's lots of other scriptures that tell us that we need the understanding of Jesus Christ. That's special revelation. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. So the Son is the only means of salvation. That's special revelation. So... Salvation doesn't come from that revelation. It makes men accountable. The logic behind what I think Paul is saying here is if men have revelation, they're responsible to respond to it. And for, I believe, everyone that responds to the general revelation, God is going to make sure that they receive special revelation. And this is the story of missionaries all over the world. They report that when they present the gospel to people that have never heard it, 
that are, no matter where they're living, the darkest of America, the darkest of Africa, the darkest of wherever, when they deliver a gospel message, it's not unusual for people to come up and say, I knew there had to be a God greater than the animistic God we worshipped or greater than the, the thinking of our people or whatever they were worshipping. They had a sense because the God that created all things had to be bigger than these idolatrous gods that's reported over and over by missionaries. So special revelation is needed. Last week we concluded with a few examples I was going to give you of some that I'm familiar with. And the first one I gave you was a man by the name of Ransford Cinebo. I met him when he was going, he was in the United States going to a Bible college, I think in Oklahoma or somewhere, I can't remember exactly. But his testimony, and I heard it and spoke to him, was that he grew up under animism, very idolatrous, very dark. They sacrificed babies. They they did all kinds of weird, odd things. He had a sense within him, that same idea that I just mentioned, that this is not right. This This is wrong. To sacrifice babies doesn't make any sense. And as he saw in creation the mightiness of a God that had to be greater than the creation, he sensed that there must be a God out there that is different from the ones that he was raised with and grew up with and everyone else participated in worship. And as it turned out, at that time, I can't remember what country it was, but they they passed a law that people had to get an education and he had to travel and he basically had no shoes, so he walked miles without any shoes to the closest place that he could get this education. He, along with a couple of other young boys. And it so happened that at that school, they used the Bible as their text to teach reading. And he did not necessarily hear hear a gospel message, but as they read passages in Scripture, things began to come together for him, and he began to realize that Jesus was that God that he knew had to exist. And he came to a saving relationship with the Lord. Through time, he became obviously a believer. And in time, he desired to know more about this God. And he studied the Bible more and more and was able to do well in school well enough that his country sent him to the United States to get an education. And where he wanted to get an education was a Bible-centered one, so he came to a Bible college. That's a typical story that missionaries tell. Mary Lee. There's a book that was written a long time ago now called Eternity in Their Heart yes. by Don Richardson. Don Richardson. Don Richardson. Story after story of Same missionaries thing. going into an area and people saying, we knew we had lost the truth, but God had promised he would bring it to us somewhat. I'm going to tell you another story about that. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Even... More close to home, Helen Keller, if you're familiar with her story, she was born blind, deaf, and as a result could not speak. They used to call that deaf and dumb. And there was a woman by the name of Miss Sullivan that uh, took care of her. And the story goes that she wanted to communicate the gospel, but had limited ways of doing that because she could not speak and all of that. So by, by touch... Somehow she was able to communicate to Helen Keller the gospel message 
Helen Keller responded, I knew that God. I knew that God. I just didn't know his name. I didn't know it was Jesus Christ. She had responded, and she could not see, so she could not observe the natural realm, but she still had contact with what God had created. And she had that inward sense that there had to be a God that was greater than all things, that the Creator got. And she responded to the message. And you know the, the rest of the story is that she's a woman that is known for some of the things that she's accomplished, obviously. At the Chafer Conference, I heard, and this is the woman that's in the slide there, and that I took the photograph while we were at the conference. Her name is Grace Hensarling. She tells a story. In fact, she was she's a missionary. She went as a probably a young young girl in her twenties. Her and three other women went to Colombia and wanted to minister to this one tribe of people, Kojis is what they were called, Koji people. They also were animistic. They very idolatrous. Didn't have a written language, so they spent years there winning their trust using medicine as the vehicle because, in fact, these people have rejected all people outside. They had something of a superiority attitude that they were superior to everyone else, so they didn't want to necessarily intermingle with other cultures, and particularly white cultures. But these women, young girls, won them over because they they had ways of healing, so they were accepted but it took them years to be able to learn the language and to be able to bring it to writing so that uh, they could educate. And they trusted their children to teach them how to read. And obviously, being missionaries, they told them about the Lord. And a lot of the children came to know the Lord. And eventually, some of the leaders began to hear of what was going on. And they told, they had a tradition, several traditions. And it was uncanny how many of those traditions were related to the early chapters of Genesis. They knew that there had to be, that there was a flood in past time. They also knew that uh, there had to be, there was this book. In fact, they believed that they had a book in, in the ancient times, their people. And this book was lost. And they believed that somebody someday would bring that book back to them. And it so turned out that in the process, the people gained confidence that these people were bringing this book back to them. And the book that they brought back was the Bible. And they taught them from the Word, and they began to realize that what this book says was the key to them coming to know the one true God. And they rejected, well, not all of them, but I think the last year reported a church of 300 people had rejected rejected their upbringing and came into a saving knowledge. So those are examples when there are people that respond to the revelation that God has given, general revelation, God makes sure that three young girls or whatever, or a gospel message or a Bible or even a public school that has Bibles available that people get to hear with God and come into a saving relationship. So what we've seen, God reveals himself clearly, as it says in the text. So there's a realization of that, verses uh, 19 and 20. Man comprehends that. It's clearly seen. Secondly, that makes man responsible to that revelation. In fact, that general principle we talked about last week, 
All of us receive revelation, and hopefully, in this class, we're unfolding special revelation. The principle is: the more revelation we're exposed to, the more responsible we are to re- to respond to that revelation. So we need to be applying the principles that we learn from God's Word because we are responsible. So also, the unbeliever is responsible as well. So whenever we receive revelation. It's a sobering thing that we need to take seriously. So it makes us responsible, and particularly in this context, he's speaking of the unbeliever. So verse twenty-one: What man generally does. This is general because we are suppressors of the truth. We suppress that revelation, and some suppress it so much that they convince themselves that there is no God. That's the extreme end. But in reality, there's no such thing as a true atheist. An atheist is simply someone who has suppressed that revelation that God has made clear to that individual. They have suppressed it so far and twisted their thinking. And the passage is going to talk about this far enough that they've convinced themselves that there is no God. But in reality. Deep down, they know there has to be a God. They have simply rejected Him. So there's always hope in delivering a gospel message. Remember, there's power there, and God can touch one of those individuals that call themselves atheists. And atheists have come to Christ, by the way. Okay, so it starts with a knowledge of God. So verse twenty-one: For even though they knew God, past tense. Referring to the same people he talked about in the earlier verses, there, all men have a knowledge and know God. This revelation is clear. Can't overemphasize that. In fact, this whole passage emphasizes that idea of God making Himself known. And we've already looked at several words. For example, the word revelation in verse eighteen, apocalypto. There's the verb form. There's also a noun form in the Book of Revelation. One one is the noun form. Here we have a verb form. God revealing the idea of conveying or passing on knowledge that can't be known apart from revelation. And in eighteen, God reveals wrath, but He also reveals Himself in verse nineteen. So we've already seen that word. We also see the word known, nostos, in verse nineteen. That which is known about God. So the idea of knowledge, the idea of knowing God, permeates this whole passage. That's verse nineteen. Also in verse nineteen, God has made it evident. That's the noun form. It is evident, noun form, because God made it evident. He uses the verb form, phaneras, noun form, phanerao, verb form. See the emphasis of knowing, knowledge, knowing. Number five to be seen. That's verse twenty. Clearly seen. Katoreo is the word there. Another word. Different words. See all the different words here. Also in verse twenty, noeo to understand. Nuas related to knowledge. To understand. If that's not clear enough, what we have in verse twenty-one is the very, very common word throughout the New Testament. Ginosko, knowledge. You got all this right. You, you know all these words.、Right? Great to know. Very common in the New Testament. And by the way, this contributes to that idea that we talked about at the very beginning of our look at this passage. 
There is such a thing as knowledge. It is objective. It comes outside of man, contrary to the world in which we live in. The world in which we live in sees knowledge as relative or non-existent. The Bible is very clear. We can know certain things. And not just intellectual, factual things, but we can know spiritual things. But only when we come to know Jesus Christ. Only when we believe that general revelation, that general knowledge that God has has given to us. So lots of words, lots of different words in this passage. 18, 19, 20, 21. So God has made himself known. That's why men are without excuse. The next part of it, this is man's responsibility now. And in general, this is the next passage basically gives us a summary of world history. Summary of world history. In general, man rejects that revelation. It's a sad fact, but because of lostness, because of depravity, that's the nature of man. That's what the Bible says. That is truth. That is absolute truth. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the first thing to understand when it comes to sharing the gospel is that all men are rejectors of God and all men stand condemned as a result. That's what follows after that. So the next part of the verse, even though they knew God, ginosko, there's the verb, they did not honor him as God. That's generally what mankind does with revelation. They do that with special revelation And even if they're raised in a culture where special revelation is available, they will reject that revelation as well. Man, that's just our nature. We are suppressors of truth. That's what the Bible teaches. They did not honor him. Now, what is the word that is translated honor there? Photios. What would you suspect? You said it this morning. Ah, you got it. Memory. (laughs) You forgot, forgot it. You're going to hit yourself over the side of the head when I say dogsa. Dogsa, yeah. All right. Glory. Actually, it's a verb form. They did not glorify him. You could translate it. It's a very common word in the New Testament. Glory. When we speak of the glory of God, he has inherent glory. In other words, he is glorious. And if you look up that word, you're going to find out that when it speaks of the glory of God, it's God revealing something of who he is, some of, something of his attributes. And we saw in verse 20 that his divine nature is revealed. That's part of his glory. Invisible attributes, sovereignty, omnipotence, omniscience, infinity. Many of these attributes that we cannot see, scientists can't perform an experiment and discover them. Because they're invisible. They're not natural. They're supernatural. The glory of God is a revelation of that. So God reveals something of his glory. And what he desires from us is that we ascribe that glory and say, yes, I see that glory. I agree that you are a glorious God. We can't give him glory in terms of adding to his glory. All we can do is ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. In other words, we we proclaim it, we say it, we pray it back to him. Lord, you are glorious. You are wonderful. So we can ascribe glory. We can also reflect his glory by the way that we live. People will see there's a difference 
And we can reflect something of that glory. We can reflect forgiveness. We can reflect compassion. We can reflect love. These are also attributes of God. And when we do that, we are basically glorifying God. But the unbeliever in this context did not glorify God or honor him. So let's take a look at this whole concept because this is fundamental. In fact, this is the purpose of all things. The purpose that God created all things is that all things would ultimately glorify him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question that is asked and answered in it appropriately is what is man's purpose? Why are we here? Why did God create man? In fact, why did God create the whole universe? A very fundamental question. One that we should be aware of, but one at the very basis, at the most fundamental level, man rejects. That's what this passage is talking about. And what is the purpose of mankind? Very good. I didn't have to even put it on the screen. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we cannot enjoy him until we respond to that revelation and come into a saving relationship. And then we can begin glorifying him. In fact, that first step brings glory to him because he pours out his power, his omnipotent power, in converting our hearts. Apart from that, Ephesians 2.1 says we are dead spiritually. We're lost. Paul says we're condemned. We're guilty. And it's only in the saving power of the gospel that now we can begin to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Chief end of man. So the purpose of all things, that's what it says up there. You can't quite see it there. Why do I do that? It's it's revelation. I'm trying to get you to to make yeah, to search for for revelation. Let's look these up. And this isn't the only passage, but this is probably one of the clearest passages that teaches us everything in the creation In this case, he's dealing with astrophysics, but you can find other passages. In fact, Romans 1 is one of them, Romans 1.20, that the purpose of the creation, the purpose of all things in terms of the creation is to glorify him. Who's got that one? Connie's got that one. Who wants to do Psalm 148? We almost need to read the whole thing because it talks about glorifying God. Okay, Kathy there. Somebody got Leviticus 10? All right. How about Psalm 86? Okay. Mark? 1 Peter 2.9? All right. Craig? 1 Corinthians 10.31? All of you have that one memorized, so you don't even have to look that one up. Who wants to quote it? No one? And then Philippians 2.9 and 10. Who's got uh, the 1 Corinthians? All right. You got it? Jacob? And Jeremy? Psalm 19. And... Dealing with astrophysics, but you could apply this in any area or any science. Biology does the same thing. Geology does the same thing. But what does astrophysics have to say? Psalm 19, 1 and 3. Got it, Connie? The heavens declare. Okay, the heavens. In other words, you look out. It's talking about basically outer space. The heavens declare. In other words, it's broadcasting the glory of God. 
so everyone can see. This is an example of God revealing himself through the creation. How does he do it? The next verse tells us. Day unto and night unto has no speech on earth. Okay, it's not audible. In other words, you don't hear anything, but there is speech. What do we mean by that? There is communication. Ideas are conveyed. You can observe. You can hear spiritually, if you will. Honey. So if a very large array is set up based, wouldn't it be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> they are hearing from God. They are just suppressing the message. Yep. What about angels? 148. Read the first, what is it, four, four verses? You got that? Who's got it? Kathy. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the In other words, glorify him. Praise him. Go ahead. In the highest. Praise him, all his hosts. All his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. All his hosts. Praise him, praise him. Go ahead and read it because he goes through a list of the creation and he's calling on the creation to praise him. And this is why he created all things. And in fact, the creation does that. The sun gives praise to him. Praise him, all stars of light. Stars praise him. Praise him highest in the waters. Keep reading. Let them praise the neighbor he commanded and he also established. He's, he's the creator. He's made it will not pass He's built into the creation a communication that communicates to us. Keep reading. Praise the Lord from the, the earth. Sea Geophysics. Sea monsters and all deep fire. And Zoology. Hail. Okay. Snow. Climatology. Wow. <laughs> Climatology. Stormy wind fulfilling his in New Mexico. <laughs> Great. That's, that's in the text, right? <laughs> mountains and all hills. Fruit trees. Orogeny praises him. cedars. Biology. And all cattle. Zoology. Creeping things and winged fowl. More zoology. Kings of the earth and all people. Princes and all judges. Now we'll come back to that one. That's nations. Both young men and old men. Let them praise the name of his exalted. Okay, that's good. Great. One, one more verse. Okay, finish it off. His glory is above earth heaven. And is lifted up a horn for his praise for all his praise. Lord. Now it's an encouragement to praise. So... You know, he, he's not calling on the sun to start praising, but he's acknowledging that the sun actually continually praises the sun, the stars, all the things that were mentioned in Psalm 148. Who's got Leviticus 10.3? This is Israel. And by the way, there are several of, of these for Israel, the nation of Israel. This is why God called them to himself. Go ahead. Then those of Aaron is what the spoke, and by those before all of you. I will be honored. That's the same word. I will be glorified. And he's going to be glorified through Israel. And he was. But people from Israel are like everyone else. They're like us. They suppress that. And oftentimes they failed to glorify God. Nations, 86. There was a little, what What were the verses, 11 and 12, I think, or so, for the, for the kings and the peoples? That's nations. 11, okay. Also Psalm 86, 9. All nations whom you have made shall come and for you to glorify your name. And they shall glorify your name. Now that's put in the future, so ultimately all nations are going to bring glory to God. Now he's talking about those that are believers from the nations, from the Gentiles. So not only the Jewish people, Israel, but all non-Jewish people, the nations were Gentiles. And in Hebrew, goyim could be translated nations or Gentiles. Ethne in the New Testament could be translated nations or Gentiles, non-Jewish people. 
The church, First Peter 2.9. What are we supposed to do? Declare what? Who's got it? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who have called you out of darkness and light. What are we to do? Glorious. Proclaim his Glorious. greatness or excellencies, New American Standard, or his attributes or proclaim his glory. First Corinthians 10.31 for whatever you do, every day eat, do all to God. Okay. Everyday mundane things, eating, drinking, whatever, working, whatever, do all to the glory of God. That's our purpose. That's what we are to do as individuals and obviously all believers. Ultimately, everything ultimately is going to bring glory to God. Who's got Philippians? For this reason also, God highly exalted him. This is Jesus. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will bow Jesus to the glory of God. Okay, everyone, everyone ultimately will bring glory to God. Even Australians, I think Australians are mentioned there, right? (laughs) Those under the earth. Philippians two. to pray for the new felt, That's right. <laughs> exactly. So, they did not honor him. This is the failure of mankind to fulfill the reason for being, the reason why people exist. Men have failed in general. So, can I ask a quick question? Or give thanks. So, it says, for they knew him, for they knew God. So, they, they knew his attributes, they knew his glory, but they didn't give it back to him. That's right. They didn't ascribe that glory. They suppressed it. And then we're going to see down here, not only do they suppress it, this is next, we're jumping ahead, but they have rationalized it away, basically. And as a result, they became futile. In other words, they came up with alternative ideas here. History of mankind. Let's look at a quick overview of world history again. I've given you a lot of thumbnail sketches of world history from different passages, and I think we have a lot of these summaries. I think a summary is right here in in verse 21. This is a record of the history of mankind. Over and over and over, we see a rejection of God's revelation. Where's the first one? Rejection of God's revelation. Adam and Eve, first man, first woman. What did God say? In the day that you eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden, you shall surely die. She doubts that. So in the garden, 3.6. In fact, for the sake of time, let me just read some of these to you. We won't look these up, but most of these you probably remember anyway. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes, all self-centered. In other words, everything revolving about mankind here or womankind. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. What did she do? She violates what God said. Thou shalt not eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. She ate. She rejected the revelation that God gave. There are consequences of that. We're suffering the consequences today. What Adam and Eve did. The flood, 6-5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. In other words, a lot of rejection of God's revelation. Wickedness was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's why the flood came. 
There was no hope for mankind. God had allowed man to degenerate to a point that there was only one family. So he destroyed the rest. So the flood is a record of man rejecting God's revelation. Babel is another one. And the example is in 11.4. P 11.4. They said, come, let us, this is man, collectively, as a culture, as a, as an empire, you might say. They said, come, let us, and notice all of the personal pronouns. It's self-centered. It's always revolving around me. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us, again, personal pronoun, make for ourselves, what? A name. A name. Not give glory to God, but let's give glory to us. That we have a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. There's a deliberate and very clear rejection of what God had revealed. What did God reveal? Fill the earth. And they say, no, let's stay here in the city, build a city, and let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. Let's not glorify God by doing what he told us to do. So Babel, the nations, Psalm 2, this is an interesting one. The psalmist asks, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? In other words, their plans are empty. Their agenda doesn't, it's useless. And then in verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. By the way, this is a Trinitarian passage. Against the Father and against his anointed, or his son. So they have rejected the son. They have rejected the father, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, let's pull loose from God. Let's go out on our own. We want to be autonomous. We want to be separate. We want to reject the revelation that he's given. Then verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That's mankind. That's the nations. Israel, there are several examples. Here's just one. This is the passage where Israel rejected the revelation of Sinai, and instead, they what did they build? They built a calf, and then later on in Numbers 14, they rejected the revelation concerning the spies, the report of the good land. And on this occasion, God says basically that Everyone uh, 20 years and older will die in the wilderness. In other words, they're not going to see his glory anymore. They've already rejected it. Let me read it to you. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's verse 21. Surely all the men who have seen my glory, this is Israel, and my signs, that's a display of glory, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these who spurned me see it. And he'd already defined everyone from 20 years older. And once the last one died after 40 years, then God begins to work with the next generation. But basically, they rejected that glory that God had displayed, the signs and the wonders that he did in Egypt. In the book of Judges, how does the book conclude? 
That's right. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, the self-centered attitude that rejects the revelation of God. That was a very dark period in Israel's history. Period of the judges. And eventually, they went into exile. Jeremiah 13, 16. This is world history. This is the history of mankind focused in some particular areas. It says, Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the dusty mountains. And while you are hoping for light, he makes it into deep darkness and turns it into gloom. Well, they did not heed that warning and went into exile in Babylon. A rejection of God's revelation. Rejection of his glory. In the New Testament, Acts just one passage, we could look at others, 12.23, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Who is this? Can anyone remember? No, Herod. Herod. Yeah. Yeah, Herod. An angel of the Lord struck him because he did not, what did he do? What did he fail to do? He did not give glory, and he was eaten up by worms and died. He was proclaiming himself as God. Yeah, exactly. He did not give glory to God. Self-centered. And... All of history, that's what Romans is talking about. All of history is a record of man rejecting God's revelation, rejecting his glory, not fulfilling what God has intended for mankind. And notice verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. We'll get to that. In other words, man cannot live in a vacuum. If he rejects God, then what does he do? He substitutes it with other false gods and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God. That's another characteristic of God or attribute for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, man falls into idolatry. That's history of mankind. And as a result, 323, you've got that one memorized, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the history of mankind. And that will go on. So let's wrap this up. Verses 19 and 20. Mankind has a realization of the revelation that God has given. Realization, that's 19 and 20. That makes man responsible for a response. It's the end of verse 20. Man, verse 21, rejects that revelation, that the pattern. Now, obviously, we are exceptions. We have responded. The believer is an exception, a minority. But in general, mankind rejects that revelation. And the last part of verse 21, we'll conclude with that, and we'll pick up here because there are consequences. They became futile in their speculations. What does that deal with? Futile in their speculations. Our thinking. Yes, plans, thinking, intellect, very good. In fact, the results, distorted thinking. The unbeliever does not see reality. The only way that you come into an understanding of reality is through revelation, because there's a lot more there than just what you can observe in the material realm. The materialist has a distorted view of reality because there are things outside of the material realm. So the thinking gets distorted. And there's a word there. It's empty. Mateao or ao. You pronounce it for me. The idea here, where it says futile, that's the idea is to be empty. In other words, these thoughts, 
They're not real. They're not reality. They, you may have a PhD, but you really have a distorted view of reality. And it's an empty view. It's a worthless view. It there's, has, no, there's no truth. There's no real absolute truth. Absolutely, yeah. So it ends up worthless. The word futile, it's translated in that text. The noun has the same idea of emptiness or purposelessness. That's why a lot of people don't have purpose. is because they have a distorted view and they have a rejection of the person that makes life worth living. So there's a purposelessness there. And then the word thoughts there or... Uh, speculations is dialogismas, thoughts or reasoning, there's intellect. And what this, the result of that is an inability to know spiritual things. An inability to know spiritual things. So naturalism is natural. It just comes normally. Inability to know spiritual things. And this is confirmed in a couple of passages. And we'll save those for next week, but you might Look them up, 1 Corinthians 2.14, which makes it clear that the, the natural man, in other words, the person that doesn't have Christ, cannot understand spiritual things. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, our thinking is darkened. So we have a distorted view of all things as an unbeliever. Jeremy. And, and it goes further than that than our thinking, right? In John 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me. Including knowledge, you know, those things. Exactly. Absolutely. Very good. John 15 there. And then what man does is he comes up with alternative theories, whether they be dealing with the natural realm, prominent theory today is evolution, or alternative theories in terms of who God is. It becomes idolatrous, and that's what the world falls into. So these dark cultures, they have a history of rejecting the one true God and end up in the idolatrous situation they find themselves in. And that's the case in America as well. We have idols here too, come in a different form. Mary Lee. Out of, I was just reading, was described that man's understanding of theology is the most important he does because whatever he ships. That's right. Exactly. So verse 21, another thing that it teaches at that point is that rationalization. The process of the mind that is looking at reality from a distorted perspective comes to all the wrong conclusions. Closing thought, as believers, we need to renew our thinking with the revelation, the special revelation God has given, put on the old self or off the old self and put on the new self. It's closing the word prayer. Who wants to do it? What this? Father, we thank you, Lord. Truth is life. Thank you. Through, through rain, the doers of Lord Jesus. Amen.